Good morning. My name is Christina Kadimis, and I'm a member of the Elizabeth Community Group, and I'll be reading scripture this morning. Scripture this morning will be from Psalm 22, 1 Corinthians 13, and 1 Thessalonians. Feel free to continue to stand as we read. So starting in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him do deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been, you have been my God. But not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. From 1 Corinthians. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even, I, even as I have been known, fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And from 1 Thessalonians, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, I think I'm going to start this sermon by saying, my name is Tom Henry, and I am a mentally ill person. I am. And um, I've never said that before. I always have uh, ADHD. And I never use the last part, which means disorder, right? Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And one of the, I tell people that all the time. One of the reasons I do that is because I don't want people to think I'm a jerk, right? I interrupt. I space out. Life's difficult. Living with me, isn't it, babe? But it's a lot more difficult for me to live with myself. And so when Howard wanted to pick a pastor to speak on mental illness, ta-da, right? Now, the reason I started with that is because one out of two people in um, life will suffer from some sort of mental illness episode. Our children, if you look at it, child from 13, an adolescent from 13 to 18, we'll look at this later, 
49% of them will suffer through a struggle sometime in their life. What are we doing in our youth groups? Kids come with anxiety. Kids come with mood disorders. Kids like me, my teachers used to say my father and mother were educators, which wasn't good for me. Um, they'd say when I'd get my report card, Tom has a very pleasant personality and is bright, but he talks all the time, can't sit still in class, interrupts the teacher. Thinks he knows, that's pride, okay? It's not necessarily mental illness. <laughs> Imagine someone walking down the church today at communion and, I mean, Dave Gregg, I don't know if, you, is he, I don't know if he's here today. He has, um, he has a disorder that when he falls, his bones break. I did not know that until this last episode. I can't believe that he's never told me that. Because if I live like that every day, I mean, I cannot believe how he lives his life with joy and power and grace. So this isn't just a sermon about mental illness. It's a sermon about mental health. And it's a sermon that how God uses people like me and my disorders of strength. I can hyperfocus. I I'm a visionary. I see all kinds of things. My mind never stops. I don't sleep a lot at night. Um, I get a lot done when I hyperfocus. So whether you're depressed, have a mood disorder, whether you're bipolar, whether you're eating disorder or afflicted, there's all kinds of things. Or whether you just suffer from mild anxiety, which is the number one uh, mental illness in our culture. Um, this is an opportunity for you to not only dial in, but it's an opportunity for us collectively as a church to think about how are we going to minister to people in our culture. And do you know the number one, first place that those that struggle with mental illness go? What's the first place? The church. A third of those who struggle make the church their first destination. And so if we want to be a church that grows spiritually, even numerically, this is an opportunity for us to not only learn about this, but to learn about what's going on ourselves. This is the first sermon I've ever preached with a PowerPoint. So good luck, okay? I should say good providence, okay? But um, because it's an introduction and there's so much data um, I wanted you to see it. So here's what we're going to look at today. Mental illness and science. What does science have to say? Mental illness in the church. How has the church uh, historically and how does the church now typically deal with those that have a mental illness? The gospel. The gospel makes all the difference in the world. Jesus had mental illness. That sounds really bad, doesn't it? Don't write letters. Was he depressed ever? Was he clinically depressed ever? How about the garden before he died? He was so anguished that he sweat great drops of blood. Wow. And one of the things, one of the scholars, B.B. Warfield, wrote, the emotional life of our Lord. Jesus wept. He was sad. He didn't sin. Not all mental illness is a result of our sin, nor can we be charged to it. 
but our Lord is someone that can identify and empathize with our weaknesses. So the gospel for those who struggle, and what does it mean to be a gospel community? So let's uh, keep going there. What does science say about mental illness? Does God reveal truth outside the Bible? Yes or no? You can talk. Look, we're a multi-ethnic church. You can speak, okay? Yes. Now, when I grew up, well, when I went into ministry in 19, well, 78 in campus, but pastorally in 1982, my first church was that I really was a member of, it was the one that I was a pastor of. Because I grew up, became a Christian on the campus, got involved in campus ministry. Yeah, went to the church. But um, so I go to this church in Ocala, Florida. It is 1982. I'd never done a funeral before. And the first funeral that I ever did was a young woman with four kids, twins that are two, and she killed herself in the most horrific way. They found her body in the woods, self-inflicted death. And I, I sat, I remember that her father, they called us and said, we found a body in the woods, please come and help. They did not know it was hers. The family was undone, wailing. The dad came back and the family was all there and he just shook his head. I will never forget it. Her husband sat down and I knew enough from this that in counseling, the first thing you do is just are there. No advice, no suggestions, no statements like, well, God will do great things or, you know, he who began a good work in you will perfect it or he takes all the problems in our lives. All those things can be true. Just be quiet. I put his, my arm around him. Not only was I quiet, but I had nothing to say. I was 23 years old, give or take a year. And I remember people in the church coming and trying, well-mannered, great heart. They were giving words, and be, they just said, God's going to use this. I, I just went. They didn't say, what is God trying to teach you about this, fortunately? But when my daughter had a birth defect and she was in the hospital, people did say that to us. And I felt like saying, God's teaching me how to deal with people like you that ask questions like this. <laughs> the problem with that situation was that the family did not believe in science. They believed that the answer to depression was found in the Bible, and that's true. All truth is um, all that we, the Bible teaches us, the confession teaches us, that the Bible contains everything we need for faith and practice. But the Bible doesn't tell us how to treat a broken leg, right? Or how to deal with eczema, which I've never had, but, you know, um, the Bible has truth about eating and what's healthy. And imagine someone, again, coming up here with a broken leg. What would we say to them if they wanted prayer? Would we say, just pray and read the Bible? Right? No, we'd ask them to 
go to a doctor. And the doctor would be involved. And then the physical therapist would be involved, which is like a counselor, right? And then the community of faith here would take meals to the family. That's how science teaches how to deal with mental illness. A physical doctor, go to a, a psychiatrist, go to a, or a neurologist, go to a um, psychologist who helps you deal with the affliction. Christian counselor would be wonderful because they do that especially if they believe in um, psychiatry. Some don't. And then you need the community of faith to walk with them on a daily basis. So she was so depressed that her dad and mom, who were really the power figures there and an elder, um, because they didn't believe in uh, medicine, she was chronically depressed. And she'd go out and live in the woods for two weeks at a time by herself. And I remember the month before, I was young, and this guy was an ex-military general and pretty intense. And I was scared to really tell him what I thought, because I'd had counseling training. But I went up to him and said, your daughter is not getting well. She needs a doctor, not only a counselor. And he didn't listen. Ugh. Can modern medicine help in the diagnosis and treatment of mental illness? I am not going to list all the issues that, um, all the, there's DSM is a notebook or a book on the various disorders. There's 200 listed there. We don't need, need to go overboard, but God uses science, which is simply looking at our physical world and making conclusions about it. Then beyond that, helping, um, as we look at the world, helping solve some of the greatest problems. And personally, illness is something we all deal with. We get a cold, we have the flu, we go to a doctor, but 49% of us will suffer from some form of mental illness, whether it's mild or severe, and half will get treatment for that. That's 25% of our population that struggles, that will never get treatment for their mental illness from a counselor. We have a lot of hurting people and a lot of broken people. Next. Definitions. It's a life struggle, which is common to most people in some degree, that impacts to various degrees and persistently impairs an individual's mental, social, emotional, and spiritual, this is a secular sort of deal, um, ability to function. This impairment is beyond a normal response. It may have its cause in physical body, environmental causes, and personal choices, or a combination. Any mental illness is defined as a mental, behavioral, emotional disorder. It can vary in impact, ranging from no impairment to mild, moderate, and even severe imp impairment. Serious mental illness is a mental or behavioral or emotional disorder resulting in serious functional impairment. Let's use depression. If you're so depressed, some folks have to go to, an, to a hospital to get their not only meds right, to be able to remove themselves from society and get help. Suicide, one of the major issues of suicide is depression. And it's a, 
I think it's the second highest cause of death among our adolescents. The burden of mental illness is particularly concentrated among those who experience disability. Here are some of the lists. Anxiety disorders, 33% of those that have mental illness struggle from that. Antisocial personality disorder, ADHD, autism spectrum, it's, it's been redefined um, from Asperger's on, on bipolar, borderline depression, disruptive mood disorder, eating disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, schizophrenia, seasonal affective disorder, in other words, the seasons, winter particularly, change us, right? Especially if you're living in New Jersey. especially Newark. I've been there over the winter. <laughs> Substance use and mental health and suicide prevention. Some slides, we're going to go through these quickly. 34.3 million people, or 14%, on a yearly basis have some sort of mental illness. That's a year for a year. 4.2% have severe mental illness every given year. On a, on a year. You realize that? That's just one year. That's not a lifetime. Here's some um, specifics. You can see on the left, 18.3% overall. Females are much more likely to experience it, and I think that's because we're, females are much more in touch with their emotions, and so they go and get treatment. You know, men, we don't like to admit weakness. Um, age difference, 18 to 25, 22%. And we should have gone earlier, but we'll see adolescents in a minute. 26 to 41, 21%. 50s, I guess you chill a little bit, um, and then you have it by the races. Asians. Are Asians um, susceptible to mental illness at the same rate as maybe Anglos? Yes, but culturally, it is, they do not share in terms of those areas of their life. I work with Asians all the time in terms of reentry. Mental health treatment in a year with those who have mental illness, 43%. Um, serious mental illness among adults, um, it's 4.2%, and there's, it varies by culture, age, and um, look at Look at 18 to 26. That's when it's first, so it first really hits. Um, adolescence. If you have a teenager, chances are um, they are str they've struggled with some sort of mental illness or disorder. In their life, if you track them through their life, one out of two will continue to suffer at one time or the other. That's staggering, y'all. And honestly, I did not know all this before I um, studied this sermon, and it's, it's impacted me in a lot of ways in terms of what the church, our church, needs to be paying attention to. We talk about race a lot, and we should. We talk about culture a lot, we should. We talk about economic diversity, we should. But mental illness in this church, a welcoming church, needs to be at the top of our list. How do we help not only 
one another in our community, but how do we help people out there that have a, do not have the support network? And so their families are typically burdened over and over and over again, as is ours. We need to be a welcoming community, and it starts with sermons like this, and it's incredible that your pastor wants to speak about this. I never, in my 19 years at Christ's Covenant, preached a sermon like this. It's really sad, actually. 49%, let's go back to that, um, severe mental illness, 22% of our kids that are 13 to 19 will have some sort of serious impairment. Again, females are a little more, but look at 13 to 14, 45%. Now, we think that's sort of middle school, isn't it? You know, we define middle school kids as, I don't want to necessarily be a teacher in middle school, right? But a lot of the explanation here is deeper than just they misbehave. And I got to tell you, forgive me for saying this, my experience in the South, in Charlotte, our mental illness um, facilities are about half of what they are in Philadelphia. We aren't spending the money on our schools. Teachers make about half here than what they do in Pennsylvania, or at least in our area. And we have not dedicated the resources we need. So write your congressman. 49% of adolescents will have any men mental disorder that they experience throughout their life. 22% will have severe impairment. And these are the various um, anxieties at the top. Um, in terms of 33%, that's most people, a third of those that are diagnosed, so that's 25%, um, will suffer from anxiety. It's common. Jesus talks about don't worry. Worry, worry, worry is in the Bible, right? The second thing would be a, a mood disorder or uh, behavior. So just behavior issues as we live out our faith. Some of this is going to be sin and just wrong choices. Some of this is going to be issues that are more, um, more genetic or environmental. If you've been abused growing up, uh, chances are you're going to act out in certain ways. Um, thirdly, mood, mood disorder, which is depression and other things, and then substance abuse. And notice, substance abuse, um, which is at the bottom, spikes at 15, well, 14, 15, 16, and 17 percent. Our kids are drinking. They're doing drugs. We need to address it. Keep going. Alcohol use in 2016. 136 136 million, okay? 63 binge. That's 47% of current alcohol users. If you use alcohol, 50% of those that do will binge. And that, um, and then 25.9% of those who binge will have, will basically be alcoholics. 12%, 12 or older, People that are using in the past month, 24%. And we put 12 in there because that's when it starts. 12 to 17, 4.9%. You can add that. 18 to 25 is the largest college party, 
38.4, and 26 or older um, of those percentages used. So the older you get, um, the less likely you're going to learn from your mistakes and so on. Drugs. Um, significant issues there. I can't see. So um, 89% in a month do not use. But 10% in a month use illicit drugs. 10%. Wow, marijuana being the most. And now it's legal in a lot of states. So this is 2016. I imagine the numbers have gone up. Over one's lifetime, um, the average American, and by the way, this is the U.S., has a 47.4% chance of having any kind of mental disorder, yeah, one and two. The lifetime preva prevalence is even higher for those who reach 75. 55% of those that have reached 75 struggle with depression um, and so on. 10% of all adults will suffer from a mood disorder, including depression, bipolar, 21% will be affected over a lifetime. And their women are 50% more likely to suffer from mood disorders than men. Over a 12-month 12 12 period, 3.8% of Americans will suffer from substance abuse. Notice the word suffer, right? You could say struggle too, but suffer. Not only do they suffer, have you ever been married? Well, if you're married to an alcoholic, if you have a son that's an addict or a daughter, if they're using drugs, does the family suffer? And the church suffers. 41% with mental illness receive treatment. What do the other 60, 59% do? In the U.S., it's not the lowest socioeconomic class that is trouble. They have Medicaid and so on. It's the second lowest socioeconomic group that can't get care. While treatment rates have gone up, the rate of mental health disorders has not. We are a broken people. It's the fall. Treatment doesn't stop the cause. It helps deal with the issue. What does the church say about mental illness? Mm. I'm just going to talk about this vignette. Uh, 1982, 1985, I come to Christ's Covenant. And um, there's a battle. And this was, this was a battle before I learned it in seminary. But there was a battle between Nuthetic Counseling, Jay Adams, I'll just use him. And he basically said, the Bible is what you're supposed to use to treat mental illness. And don't go to secular psychiatrists or psychologists. The Bible has everything you need. Larry Crabb, uh, Paul Tournier, um, Clyde Naramore, he, he wrote from um, guilt to grace, talking about um, guilt. And I read it, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I've never heard this. They're integrationists. They believe that science is not enough. It does, it, it can cure it can't cure the underlying anxiety or fear that we all have, but it can help you cope. We need spiritual. We need the word. We'll see that in a minute. Um, so what role does psychology and psychiatry play in the life of the believer? Just like what role does your internist play? But mental illness is more fuzzy. It's not as clear. It's mysterious. And because... Um, 
there is sin involved, right? Choices, bad choices. If I'm an alcoholic, I might be predisposed to that, but it's a sin to drink excessively, right? If I'm depressed, it's a sin to kill myself, right? If I have schizophrenia, it's a sin not to take my medicine, right? If I have, well, another disorder about sort of avoidant uh, personalities, it's a sin to move away from people in the church. And, and it's a sin for children who are, have sort of deviant behavior to lash out at their parents. Yes, but they also, we also need to be treated that way. Is the Bible enough? Yes. If you lived in the Middle Ages, or if you lived in 200 AD, by the way, people, mental health from Christians were, was amazing in the early Roman Empire. They did not distinguish between mental illness and physical illness. They cared for everyone that was sick. That's why Christianity grew, because particularly those that had means, they cared for the sick, they cared for the disabled, they cared for the broken, they cared for those who struggled. They didn't have the list, they didn't, ha they didn't separate it out. They might have called it madness or they might have called it temporary melancholy, but the church was amazing back then and it wasn't really until, well, the 70s and 80s, we, we just changed. With Bible and prayer alone, people with serious, this is serious mental illness, like depression, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia can overcome it. Agree. Among all Americans, 35%. Do you realize what that means? If you're in one of those 35% people, and if they don't get over it, you're judging them. Among Christians, 48%. Those who disagree with that statement, 59% of culture, and less Christians, evangelicals disagree with that than agree with that statement. Wow. That's, by the way, that's modern data. 6% and 5% don't know. That means when someone comes in to our community, Christian community, more Christians in that community are going to say things like, you just need to pray and you just need to read the word. When you read the word to somebody that's chronically depressed, it can make their depression worse. And, you know, I know that's shocking to some of you, but it's true. Next. All right. Now I'm going to preach, okay? I didn't like that for the first part, but I didn't know any other way how to do it. The gospel for those who struggle. I hope you're depressed right now, right? Anybody just overwhelmed with these stats? It really does, elders particularly, we need to look at this. We need to look at this because I love this church. And we're already caring so much. I got to tell you, um, well, all right. Here's a model for our soul, our emotions. When in the garden, we were created to be with God. We were created in his image. We were created perfect, not complete. We were created to belong. That's our need. You could call it security. But every one of us was created to be in a relationship that gives love and grace and purpose, right? 
when we're alone, when we're cut off, when we avoid, when we hide, that is not good for us, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. We were also created with dignity. With, right? Man created a little lower than the angels in the very image and likeness of God. God has a will, we have a will. God exists in community, we exist in community. God is good, we were good. You know, God has glory. He's, ha he's beautiful and majestic, we are. So we had great worth and strength. No weeds in the garden. Marriage was perfect. You were naked and you weren't ashamed. That doesn't happen anymore, right? In my experience, even in my marriage, right? We need clothes. And go into an elevator once and look around at the people and get real close to them and see how you freak them out. Right? That has to do with our weakness and shame. So Francis Schaeffer calls humanity after the fall glorious ruins. I love that term. We do not murder. Why? No matter who it is, because people are still made in the image of God. But it's a fallen image. It's fractured. And we will be made whole when he comes again. Until then, we will struggle with separation. We belong, but we now are separated. Dividing. Wives, you will... You're, you will struggle against your husband. You will want to dominate him. Husbands, you will want to dominate your, your wife. In terms of work, we will have weeds. It won't go well. Shocker. Our world's not getting better. Shocker. The Democrats will not save the United States of America. Shocker. Politics has a lot of failure in it. So does the church. So does any other area. So we are separated. We have guilt now rather than worth. We have weakness where we, before we had strength. So let me give you an example of what happens with that. When we have fear, fear ultimately has to do with separation. We want to perform well. We have all these fears. Why? Because we feel like what, if we do something wrong, we will no longer belong. Guilt is different than shame. When someone's ashamed, what happens? They don't feel worthwhile, right? Guilt is a good thing. Actually, separation can be a good thing. It makes us run to God. But shame is not. What does the psalmist pray over and over again? Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemy triumph over me. And that enemy might not be a human being. It might come from within. World flesh and the devil. And weakness. Now, again, fear, shame, and anxiety are things that we all suffer. Mental illness is what happens when those fears and that sense of shame and anxiety increases. That affects us. It affects our moods. It affects our relationship. We get depressed. So do you see that? Do you see how the model unfolds? So if that's, who, that's what it means to, for you and I to live in this world. But God has entered the world. 
right after the fall, in the middle of the curse, God comes and he says, I will put enmity between you and the serpent as the serpent comes in, right? And he, and he tells all kinds of lies. And Eve bites the apple and so, do, so does Adam. And they, they fall into a place from glory to ruin, totally depraved. We can get worse, but we are every area of our being, our mind, our heart, and our will is tarnished by sin. Every problem in this world has its root in the fall. It might not be our sin, but it's sin. We, we, um, when we see Adam and Eve in heaven, I don't know what we'll do with that, right? Well, we'll probably be sanctified, so we'll handle it okay. Now, the f- restoration, that's what the gospel is. Jesus, when he goes to the cross, and if you've ever seen that movie um, by Mel Gibson, what was it called? Thank you. There's a powerful scene where he falls down and he looks at it and he says, I am making all things new. God's renewing the creation, but he's also making you into a new creature from one degree of glory to the next. So, the Father adopts us. We belong to him and are loved. The Son dies for us. We have great worth and we're a new creation. The Spirit strengthens us. We are strong and powerful. So, you and I, on a daily basis, have three areas where we must do battle. Faith, hope, and love. Now, I did not recognize that in a a way till this last week. Let me say it a better way. What is discipleship? We throw that term out a lot. What does it mean to disciple somebody, right? Well, a discipler is a learner, a follower. But I was reading 1 Corinthians 13 in my quiet time, and we read it earlier. Now, at the end of all this, three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And I thought about that in thinking about this sermon, and I go, that's it. A discipleship is helping people grow in their faith, grow in their hope, and grow in their love. And if, when we suffer from mental illness, it's a fight. It's a fight to believe. It's a fight to hope, right? And it's a fight to love. Let's look at the next scripture. Psalm 22, a psalm of David. It happens to be right in front of what psalm? Psalm 23. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, shall not lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads beside still waters. He restores my soul. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemy. Well, right before that psalm, here's David's experience. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, of course, said that on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? I cry out by day, but you do not answer. Is that true? No. I mean, he hides sometimes, dark night of the soul, yet you're holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. This is the fight for faith. Our fathers trusted. They trusted. You delivered them. They cried to you. They were rescued because of their faith. But I'm a worm, not a man. Is that true? 
scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make, um, they, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. That's on the cross. Jesus said that as well. He trusts in the Lord. Again, faith. People look at David and they say, he's full of faith. He trusts in the Lord. But now they're mocking him. They see David in this condition, and what do they do? They mock him. Well, you're a Christian, and you're not trusting God, right? You're a hypocrite. That stings. Yet you are, again, the one who took me from thy womb, and you made me trust on my mother's breast. I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You've been my God. Don't be far from me. Trouble's near. I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart's like wax. My strength's dried up. They have pierced my hands and feet. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Familiar? Where did that happen? And you see, our fight for faith is only possible because Jesus fights for us. Right? It's the cross and the resurrection that enables us to fight. Next song. 42 and 43. Hope. Now, one hopes in something that they don't have, right? So when you're depressed, what do you hope for? Joy. When you have ADHD, what do you hope for? Not being distracted. Not interrupting, right? Not losing stuff and leaving it all over the house and forgetting your keys. This last week, God bless you, Karen, she comes home and she gets up in the morning. We have all kinds of weird security stuff going on in our neighborhood. It's not good. You know, people are writing about it. All these people are doing things. They're sort of looking in windows and stuff. So I just sort of ignore that, but I shouldn't. So she wakes up the next morning, and I get a text. I'm out for breakfast, and she goes, you left your keys in the door again. How does even one do that? You know, you open the door, and like, what? How do, I don't even know how I could do that. You open the door, and then I walk in. I don't even pull the keys out of the door. That's what it's like to live with somebody like me. Psalm 42, Psalm 43, again, as the deer pants for flowing streams, my heart pants for you. I thirst for you. I, I long for you. That's his hope, that you'll show up. That there, there won't be this great chasm between my faith and my hope and my experience or your promise and what my experience is because there's a gap. We live in the already, but not yet. We are saved. We are being saved, but ultimately we will be saved. We've been justified. We are being sanctified, set apart, being more like Jesus, but one day we will be glorified. We will see him and we will become like him. Perfect. So in this, in this text, the fight for hope, he talks to himself. If when we struggle, whether it's mild or moderate, we have to renew our mind and we have to learn to talk to ourselves, right? The voices in our head, we don't have to listen to. We have a lot of false voices and false thoughts. We're to renew every thought captive, right? We're to take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ. And what the, what, what the psalmist, this isn't David, what they do in Psalm 42 and 3, they say, why are you cast down? Great question. Why are you anxious? Why are you so distracted that you're interrupting? 
And by the way, that's a sin. I can't blame that on my ADHD, right? It's a sin. I'm supposed to listen before I speak. I might struggle, it, struggle at it more than others, but I'm still trying to fight. Or paying attention. I don't know if that's a sin or not. Eh, probably, depending on who I'm supposed to listen to. If I watch the news and I don't pay attention, that's fine. That's probably righteous. <laughs> no comment, I, no comment, no comment. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I, even though I'm not praising him now, I will again praise him. Even though my heart's not filled with faith, I will yet praise him. So can you imagine singing this? Uh, we need, Kelly and Howard aren't here, but we need to sing this every week. Y'all, these were, these were songs. We don't, if we sang this in a church, half the people would go, you're not being spiritual. I cannot believe you're saying these words, right? If we sang in a church, my God, my God, sorry, why have you forsaken me? Why are you, you know, I don't know what the tune would be. They sang this. The people of God in the Old Testament were so much more healthy than we are. So much more healthy. So much more honest about their affliction. Right? Job. Job, Job said, you see something terrible and are afraid. That's why you're not kind to me. Wow. Uh, from... <laughs> From our friends, from our friends, we should experience kindness, not judgment, lest we forsake the fear of God Almighty. That's what Job said. Vindicate me, O God. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. He's hoping. Next slide. Fight for love. Romans 8. We're not going to read it. You should. It's the absolute best chapter in the Bible. There, therefore, there's no condemnation for those of you who are depressed or have anxiety or whatever. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Any rule we give people without the gospel leads to death, and it inflames our sin. So if you say to somebody, pull up yourself by your boot traps and just go pray and read the word, you are increasing their sin, not to mention their misery. Um, we'll skip it. For those who are led by the spirit of God or sons of God, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Into fear, right? Orphans are afraid. Sons of God aren't. We have a daddy. He loves us, even though we don't experience it. And we can cry to him in our worst failure, in our worst sin, Abba, Father, you're my dad. Wow, I love my dad. Mm. He's struggling right now. And um, he is, if he being evil know how to give, give good gifts, I didn't have called my dad evil to his face. But if he being evil, broken, sinful, know how to give good gifts to me, and he has my whole life, how much more will our Father give us? And if we're children, the spirit, the spirit 
bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God and children then heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. What's the condition? Provided we suffer. You know why God afflicts us with illness? So we suffer and then we become heirs of God. I didn't sign, I missed that verse, you know, for a long time. Let me read it again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. We cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God. We don't know we're adopted unless the Spirit tells us every single day and reminds us. And if children, then heirs, do you know what it means to be an heir of Christ? What do we own? What do we own? You know the story about Peter, right? Oh, not Peter. Peter's standing at the gates. That's not in the Bible, but I don't know why they have that metaphor. Of all the people that I want to put at the gates, I'm not sure Peter would be it. Sorry, Peter. I think, you know, I don't know. Like John, John, laid at Jesus' breast, right? He should be there. But anyway, Peter's here. And they have a guy come in, he's very wealthy, he spends his life um, dealing with prosperity, and he brings all this gold with him in a suitcase, right? You've heard it. He walks up to Peter, and Peter goes, what are you bringing? You can't take anything with you. He's like, well, I need to bring this in. And so he goes, okay, come on in. He opens up the suitcase, and it's all gold. And Peter goes, pavement. Right? In heaven, the streets will be paved with gold. That's what it means to be an heir. Provided, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. We never suffer in our mental illness without Jesus suffering with us. Even our sin, Jesus has experienced, taken on himself. He suffers with us 24-7, and we suffer with him. Finally, fight for love. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question, but on a daily basis when you suffer with mental illness severely, you lose sight of the fact that God is for us. Therefore, you have to continue to remind yourself sometimes every five seconds. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also with him not freely give us all things graciously? And then here's the question, friends. No matter where you are this morning, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Or what even? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, um, broken leg, failed marriage, struggle. What will separate us? And when you suffer just throughout the day, we need to fight for the love of God and to believe that God loves us. That's what discipleship is. 
No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're more than strugglers. We conquer. And then not only do we conquer, we're more than conquerors. I don't know what that is. Through him, we're not conquerors on our own. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am sure. Read that with me, okay? Verse 37, read it with me, okay? No. In all these things, you can say it out loud, please. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That's what discipleship is. It's struggling for faith, hope, and love. Now, what does it mean to be a gospel community? Next slide. The three reasons why people in the church um, have such a hard time with sharing their mental illness is because of the stigma. The f and in the church, sometimes it's the hardest place because people, the 50% or whatever, look down on you and they say, read the Bible and pray more. That's not helpful. That is true, okay? But that's not all that you have to do. Secondly, so we, we have stigma over three particular reasons. Number one, if it's a rare disorder, it, it freaks us out. Number two, if we think the person can get over it, you know, like get over it, there's a stigma there. And number three, if we feel like they're dangerous, there's a stigma. Grace and shalom, grace and peace. When Paul writes that over and over again, he's saying, let's be a grace-giving grace church and let's be a place where people can find shalom, all the peace of God. So, very simple here. What's our job at Christ Central? We are to fight for one another's faith. Your job is to help me believe more. All the Bible studies, all the whatever things we do here, I'm you know, my ADHD's kicking in. But you name it, whatever we do, women's groups, men's groups, barbecue cook-offs, which I'm going to win next year, all the things we do, youth group, we, our, our job is to fight for one another's faith, to fight for one another's hope, and to fight for one another's love. Paul. In my favorite passage, 2 Corinthians 1, one of them anyway, he says, if I'm afflicted, it is for your benefit. Do not ever ask somebody again, what is God, why are you suffering, what is God trying to teach you? Here's the answer. Paul says, if I'm suffering, if I'm afflicted, it is for your benefit. If I'm comforted, it is for your benefit, right? And then he goes on to say, I was afflicted so much so that I despaired of even of life. Do you know Paul was suicidal? He was. Read the passage. I was so afflicted, I despaired even of life. But God gave that despair to me, the thorn in the flesh, that I might not rely on myself but on him because God is the one that raises the dead. If you're suicidal today, probably, or thinking about it, probably a few of you are, if you're here. God raises the dead. Finally, 
Next one. God fights for us. God fights for us. And here's the conclusion. You're supposed to do a good conclusion at the end of a sermon. Here's mine. Next. Being a gospel community, next step. It's up to us. So I got a suggestion. Start thinking about how we might grow in this area of our church. And write me an email. Well, write Karen it, because I'm sure to read it. Write the session. I've been thinking about a small group, just getting people together that struggle. I've also been thinking about a small group that will get together and help us explore ways how we can increase in this area. I love you guys. Sorry that you have to put up with my mental illness, okay? Which is embarrassing for me to say, even after this sermon. Which means, you need to help me get over it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, wow. Give us, in this place, this day, a renewed passion and a renewed grace that only comes from possessing your spirit, the ability not only to believe and to hope and to love because of the cross, because of your death, because you bled and rose again. But give us the grace and the peace to be grace givers, to be lovers, to be believers, and to be hopers, and to fight for one another and those that are in the world that we encounter every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.